Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the KBR Sports Podcast. You already know the best sports podcast of your 24-hour day. Thanks for tuning into today's podcast, everybody. Of course, if you're not subscribed to the podcast and you're a first-time listener, go ahead and subscribe to the KBR Sports Podcast. You don't miss any future podcast episodes, as well as subscribing to the KBR Sports YouTube channel. So that way you're getting all the video content to go along with your podcast your podcast intake. You know what I mean? If you want to binge on KBR sports stuff, you listen to both platforms. Guess what? You're going to have a you're going to have a pretty good dosage of content to listen to because we're hitting you hard with the content, okay? So, sports has been going crazy. We've had a lot to talk about over the last few weeks. So, definitely been excited to be back in the swing of things with sports and so on, but y'all, let's jump into it because NBA Finals, things getting interesting every day, more and more interesting every day. The Miami Heat come out to beat the Lakers 115-104, make the, bring the series closer, one game, one game lead for the Lakers, two games to one. And Jimmy Butler, guys, Jimmy Butler was a freaking dog. <laughs> That's the best way to describe it. Jimmy Butler was relentless last night. He had 40 points. 13 assists, 11 rebounds. He was 12 of 14 from the free throw line. He was 14 of 20 shots. <laughs> That's incredible. And just to really hammer home just how good Jimmy Butler was in this game, because a lot of times throughout the game, you felt as on the first two games, not that I won't say that Jimmy played bad, but you just realized Jimmy wasn't, it wasn't full on aggressive. It wasn't in the sense like, I'm going to go down swing, like my team's not going to lose. Because I was aggressive the whole game, kept my foot on the gas pedal. Though his first two games didn't really give you that feel, as opposed to this game where you definitely got that sense where Jimmy was just like, okay, I'm doing whatever it takes to win, and I'm going to score, I'm going to shoot the ball, I'm going to attack the rim constantly. I'm going to keep attacking the rim nonstop. And in game in game two, you did see some of that. There were different times. Like he wasn't he wasn't as aggressive with his shot, I guess you you could say, in different instances. But he was aggressive in terms of playmaking. I mean, he had 13 assists in game two as well. And I think game two it was just a game where the Heat the Heat weren't just they just didn't have the firepower to be as good as the Lakers. But when you come out the next game, and maybe it's just shooting percentages because you look at the difference between game two and game three. This game, Jimmy Butler has 40 points. Game two, he had 25 points. This game, he shoots 14 of 20 from the field. Game two, he shot 7 of 17 from the field. He had 8 rebounds, 13 assists in game two. This game, he has 11 rebounds, 13 assists. So the games, the two games aren't too far apart from each other, except for the fact that he made 7 more shots in the, other, in, in the game in game three. So it was a big game for Jimmy Butler, man. And these are the big game moments where you really put your name in that top star conversation, because I think coming into the season, the view of Jimmy Butler was co- similar to the view of what a player like Paul George is, where it's like, oh, he's a really good complimentary player if you wanted to pair him up with a guy like LeBron James or with a guy like Kawhi Leonard or something like that. So he can be your number two scorer and your second guy, but you can't build the team out to fill out around him because he just doesn't have maybe the skill set, the talent, whatever the case might be. And... 
I think the cool thing about the NBA playoffs is that everything gets put on display. Like every single, every single hiccup, every single weakness, all the deficiencies in your game are highlighted and they are brought out more to the forefront because it's the biggest stage where everybody's watching your team play on this stage. So when you think about how well Jimmy Butler played and how big he stepped up in these NBA finals, granted, this is the first one they had, but it's, it coincides with Jimmy Butler's best game. You get what I'm saying? Like, it, you can only depend on guys like Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson, Jay Crowder, and so on to a degree because they're all, they're all still role players. Tyler Hero has talent. Duncan Robinson, Jay Crowder, they're definitely in the mold of guys that are role players, but you can only depend on role players type, type players for certain games. They might show up in a certain game or two, whatever. Normally they show up at home on the road where in this environment you don't have the home environment to really back your team. And right now Miami technically would be on the road. They would be in Miami if it weren't for the bubble. They would be playing home game, a home game in Miami, and game three kind of swayed the way you would think a home game would go. They had all the momentum. They had the energy from the onset, and they just came, and they kept the Lakers. It's not like the Lakers disappeared now. The Lakers kept staying with them. They kept taking all Miami's haymakers, all their heavy jabs, and Miami just kept the foot on the gas pedal. That's one thing that teams that tend to make the NBA Finals that are young, they tend to normally, not even just in the NBA Finals, but in the playoffs in general, when they get up, they'll take their foot off the gas pedal. Like a team that isn't well gelled together or isn't well coached, they'll take their t- foot off the gas pedal. A-, a lot of Clippers, a lot of the Utah Jazz, whatever, when you let a team come back from down 3-1. And when you let that happen multiple, multiple times, then it's like, okay, well, what is the fortitude of this team? But the Miami Heat, they, the Lakers try to make a run. There was one point in the fourth quarter, I believe the Lakers took like a 91-89 to 89 lead, and the Heat just nipped it in the butt. They nipped it in the butt. They took the lead back. And they were just full on on the Lakers' neck throughout the whole rest of the game. And it was a great game, man. I think now when you start talking about Jimmy Butler, I'm not one of those people that's ready to, that, that just makes shift lists and so on because I, I believe a lot of the list, the, the where a guy should be rated and valued and ranked amongst his, his peers is because of how he, what he's achieved and his overall ability that he has to play the game. And when we're thinking about guys that, a lot of people talk about the top five players in the NBA, top ten players. Top five for me is a lot of the, the guys that are the champions, like the LeBron James, the Kawhi Leonard, Steph Curry. And then when you come down, you start going down like the list of guys that are like MVP caliber players, like a Giannis and even Anthony Davis and getting into his first NBA Finals. And oh, Kevin Durant, I'm not, I didn't even include Kevin Durant but because he was hurt. But Kevin Durant is that, that, the, one of those guys in that top five conversation. And guys like James Harden and so on. But... When you go outside of that and you go to that top 10, it really just comes down to guys like, okay, who can, who's, who has the MVP caliber talent and then who also has the resume and the, the stature to kind of back that claim up to be a top 10 player? And I think Jimmy Butler, in, what, in where he's played this season with Miami, the role he's played, he hasn't been the guy that's going to get all the gaudy, gaudy stats. He hasn't been the guy that's going to go and lead the team in scoring the whole time and whatever the case might be. But... He has been the guy that changed the culture of the team. And he has been the guy that has always given his best effort on both sides of the, of the floor. And Jimmy Butler is the definition of, I'm doing whatever it takes to win basketball games. I'm not, I'm not obsessed with leading my team in scoring. I'm, not lead, I'm obsessed with leading my team in assists. I'm not obsessed with just dominating the stat sheet. I just want to fit into this role of, with my team to win as many basketball games as possible. And you see it. 
you literally see it with this team. And it's amazing to watch because of the fact that you look at Jimmy and you look at guys like Tyler Hero. You look at guys like Bam Adebayo. You look at guys like Goran Dragic and so on. It's not like this is a team full of A-list, tier name stars. No, a lot, of, a lot of how people would grade this team is a lot of B-tier players or whatever the case might be. And then a really, some really good draft picks and so on. But you wouldn't have picked the Heat to come out of this situation. But it's because of Jimmy Butler and the overall organization. This was like a perfect fit, like a hand on a glove with Jimmy Butler and this Heat organization because I feel like for years, everything Jimmy Butler's been preaching about, talking about with winning, it just entirely emboldens and embodies Heat culture. And I know that's a line that sometimes people tend to throw around a little loosely or a little with, the, with a, a kind of a little bit of sarcasm with it. But the, the Heat culture is a real thing, man. And when you're talking about a team that was – in a lot of ways, that was still winning games throughout the regular season, but not maybe not as dominant as a team like the Bucks or as dominant as a team like the Raptors or whatever the case might be. And then they come out and they face majority of these teams that people were picking to get to the finals ahead of them, and they just completely dominate those teams. They really just impose their will on those teams, and they show that they're the team that wants to be here. And I think for Jimmy Butler's case, when you're talking about other guys and, and you're talking about top 10 players – Jimmy Butler, like if you're talking about all NBA, all those accolades and stuff, yes, I think all those things matter, of course, because all NBA normally rates your your season performance and so on and how your team performed and how good you were as a player. He, Jimmy Butler did make all NBA this year, and he's made all an all-defensive team before, and I think it's like one of those things where if I'm comparing Jimmy Butler to a guy like Paul George, I'm taking Jimmy Butler. <laughs> I know, I know it's like Paul George has the stats, whatever the case might be, but Jimmy Butler, the fortitude, every single place Jimmy Butler's been, right? You can make the case, if they bought into winning as much as he did, those teams would have won way more games. Am I, am I wrong in saying that? You look at Chicago. Chicago, there was definitely a conflict of interest between the two, team, between the two demographics of the team. It was a very young team, and you had some veterans on there like, Jimmy Butler, Rajon Rondo, Dwayne Wade, and there was definitely a conflict there at times because of the fact that there was there seemed to be a, a level of okay we're ready to win now, but then there was also a level of okay we need to develop these young players and bring them along and get them to understand what winning in the NBA is. And sometimes those two things, those two interests, butted heads, and you saw it a lot of times. And even when they had Derrick Rose. There, Jimmy Butler hadn't fully come into becoming this Jimmy Butler, but the competitive will, the competitive drive was still there. And you see, you saw it at times with the direction the organization wanted to go in. And then with Derek, with Joe Kim Noah, there was definitely some some tension there as well. So then we move out of the, the Chicago spot. Let's look at Philly. Or sorry, let's look at Minnesota. Minnesota, when he went to Minnesota, everybody was talking about, oh, they have the talent. They have the talent. They're, him, Carl Anthony Towns, Andrew Wiggins, they have the talent to make a run. They were they looked like it. Throughout the games they were playing together, they definitely looked like they had that caliber of talent. They looked that good throughout the time period of when Jimmy Butler initially got there. Jimmy Butler then gets hurt, which definitely hurt the team in the standings. I mean, they regressed entirely when Jimmy Butler got hurt when after his injury. But when he came back, they like went on a charge to make it. Remember, it was like them and the Spurs. I think they played the Spurs for the eighth seed, literally for the eighth seed slot in the playoffs. And Jimmy Butler was just imposing his will on that whole game, the whole, like, everything. 
But when you sit there and you're talking about the man, the ownership and management all want to invest in Carl Anthony Towns as their fixture, as the centerpiece of that organization, which is understandable. He was the younger player, and he had the arguably the more ta- he he did have more talent, and in terms of longevity, he was the guy that would pretty much carry the organization for a longer period of time than Jimmy Butler possibly could. So if the two stars conflict, they, they're going to choose the younger star with the better talent and the better upside. But you can make the case that if Carl Anthony Towns was as bought in, because there's not, there's not been one point in time that we can make the case that we think that Carl Anthony Towns throughout that year was as bought in as Jimmy Butler. I, you just can't. You just really, you really can't. There's always been, there's been this conversation about Carl Anthony Towns for years, about his lack of defensive intensity, about all this stuff. The GMs take choosing Carl Anthony Towns over different guys because of the talent that I discussed, but then when he's, he's missing it, like it's like trying to bring in two ends of a, a wire. You just can't fully pull it to connect because he just doesn't have that desire to have them connect when it comes to his defensive game and his offensive game. He just can't bring the two things together. He's only just been primarily an offensive player. And then when you're talking about Andrew Wiggins, I mean, obviously we know how that situation ended out, but the lack of winning is is there. Then you go to Philly. Philly in, in and of itself has two stars that have the talent to be the best players in the league. And even there, you, you, you make the argument that you don't think Joel Embiid is maybe as bought in as he needs to be. Ben Simmons isn't as committed to expanding his game as he needs to be to broadening his overall game package. So that way he's more of an unstoppable force that they can definitely be unguardable. That Philly team had the, had the, the talent to win a championship without a doubt. And you made the case that if there was if the guys took care of themselves like a Joel Embiid or a Ben, a ben Simmons, that they handled their business in the offseason – coming into that year to make sure that they were in position to make that run, it's hard for me to make the argument that they wouldn't make it to the NBA Finals, regardless of how, how well Kawhi played with the Toronto Raptors, all that stuff. If you're telling me Joel Embiid was taking care of himself, was in tip-top shape in the whole nine, and throughout that series he was good, I don't know. I don't know. And then Ben Simmons even. There was, there was times I felt like you couldn't play Ben Simmons with all the other three guys because you needed shooting on the court. So... When you're talking about these guys, their commitment to winning, expanding their game, Jimmy Butler is showing in these NBA Finals his full, expansive basketball game. Like You couldn't get a performance like this from Ben Simmons because you can guard him outside of the paint. You, like, you literally don't have to even entertain him. Joel Embiid, Joel Embiid can give you this type of performance that Jimmy Butler did. The, the, the question of it is the consistency. Can I depend on this from you? 40-point triple-doubles, I mean, that's, that's tough to do. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. The only other guys to do it in NBA history are LeBron James and Jerry West. So I'm not trying to make it sound like that's just something that anybody, any old guy can do. But what I'm saying is that to have that game where we can't question your effort. You're, you just do, you're dominating. Because like the, these stars, guys, here's the thing. When it comes to stars, they're stars because technically nobody can guard them one-on-one. They're stars because they can impose their will on the game whenever they want. And it's against majority of the league. So the reason why you talk about guys being stars and whatever is because, oh, because on a, any given night, not just like one night in a year or whatever. No, consistently every single night, they are able to dominate the majority of the NBA league and have their way with them and be able to just insert their will upon those people. So when you're talking about Joel Embiid, Joel Embiid has that kind of talent. He is, he's able to do those kind of things, but it just depends on 
well, Joel, I need you to do it in the biggest moment. I can't have you tell me you're tired. I can't have you tell me you're injured or you're load managing. You need to be ready to be able to impose your will every single night, especially in the high leverage moments. Those are the things that we're talking about in this conversation. And every single spot Jimmy Butler's been in, I don't think he's had other people as committed to that desire to have that come to fruition as him. And now he's in a team where the whole culture, if you guys hear my cat, sorry. (laughs) But now he's in a team where the whole culture, the whole entire organization has that same framework. They have that same mindset. So it's not like it's ever going to be Jimmy's the problem. No, if you don't have, if you don't share that mindset, you don't share the embodiment of key culture, you're the problem. That's how this setup is. That's why this setup is working. I give get credit to the Miami Heat, man. I, I've been saying it. I said it on last the last podcast. I don't think they're just going to roll over and get worked by the Lakers, which they didn't. Even in game two, they were fighting to stay. They were hanging around the whole game, even though it was a game that like technically wasn't close because the Lakers were just in full control the whole game. They were always just hanging around, hanging around, hanging around. So it was one of those games that you just saw that the team has the fight in them. They just needed to put it together for a full 48 minutes. No falling down 13 or falling to a big lead early on and trying to play catch up the whole game when you're not talented enough to catch the Lakers in that scenario. But let me let me even talk about the Lakers in this in this respect because I think that when we're talking about the Lakers and we're talking about how they they were able to oppose their will through game one and game two. A lot of that had to do with Anthony Davis, right? Without a doubt, Anthony Davis was a beast. He came into game three averaging 33 points, 11.5 rebounds, three assists on 63.4% shooting from the field, 60% from three. And he hadn't missed the free throw. He still hasn't missed the free throw. I mean, he, he was ridiculous. It was, the guy was a monster. Game three comes around. He gets into early foul trouble, which, was, which, is, which has been an issue. Not not been an issue, but which was an issue in the game for him to really get into a rhythm. And these are things that anybody that just looks at the final stat sheet, you got to add context. Like what happened that led to the 15 points? Granted, of course, he could have asserted his will throughout this second half. And I agree with that because he, he picked up the two fouls early. So he was out of majority of the first half. And he didn't he did, he he picked up a third foul, too, in the second quarter. And I remember. The, uh, the announcing crew even asked, like, do they want to, because it was a foul, well, he tried to drive, he drives in, he runs it to Kelly Olenek, and the broadcast crew was like, well, Frank Vogel should challenge that, because it was like a bang-bang play, and they were saying, well, Frank Vogel should challenge that, because that's Anthony Davis' third foul. He doesn't challenge it, Anthony Davis gets benched for, like, the rest of the, the duration of the second quarter, and... And people that don't play basketball, it's like it's easy just to say, well, then you come out the next the next half and just assert your will, just come in, come out aggressive the next half. No, it's easy to say that, but in a way, it's not that simple. It, it kind of is, but it's not. And let me let me explain what I'm trying to say. I'm not trying to make an excuse for Anthony Davis. He definitely didn't. He didn't have his dominant game that I've been talking about. You need from their stars. Every game of the series, if you're trying to close out a series or whatever the case might be, he didn't have that game. I mean, he had 15 points, six of nine shots. He needs to be taking more than nine shots. That's just a fact. But he had six of nine shots, two of two free throws, five rebounds, three assists with five turnovers. That's just not going to get it done. That's a fact. This is not going to get it done. This is one of those games that Shaquille O'Neal would just criticize him as a big for having because that's you just you dropped the ball on that. Like he literally fumbled the bag in that sense. But 
where I was going to describe like why it's tough for maybe a star to get into a rhythm after you get into foul trouble is because of the fact that when you're sitting for a long time, your legs get cold. You're kind of out of your, like there's a rhythm, there's a pace to basketball that you play with, right? And you tend to pace yourself throughout the game and you'll normally take a certain amount of shots. Sometimes you'll take, like your team will make a game plan where you'll either get a lot more shots in a certain quarter or whatever the case might be. And you've, you've even heard Shaq say it a lot of times when he talks about how he knew he had an average points. He's like, okay, I just got to get seven points a quarter. Seven points a quarter, okay? So seven points a quarter. If I'm just scoring seven points a quarter, I'm good. I'll get to 28 points. That's what I need to average. I'm good. And that's what his mindset was. And he's like, a lot of times, if I'm even being more aggressive, I'll get fouls. I'll get to the free throw line. Whatever. I'll get them in foul trouble and so on, okay? When you're out for a majority of the first half due to foul trouble, guess what? Now you're not in that position to get the seven points per quarter, seven points per quarter to get to that 28 points. You'll see a lot of times Anthony Davis' stand line would be like, he had 15 points in the first half. He maybe had 15 in the third quarter, and then he had like four or five in the fourth. He had 15 points in the first half or 16 points in the first quarter, something like that. Then he'll, he'll maybe close out with like seven in each quarter after that, and he'll finish with like 28 points. That's normally how Anthony Davis scores his points. It's not, it's, it normally comes in those, those bursts, not as opposed to just consistent scoring throughout the game. It comes in a lot of bursts because he'll get hot and he'll start just scoring. If you miss a whole half of basketball, then guess what? Now your point, your point contribution is cut in half. That's where you result with the 15 points. And Anthony Davis normally scores his buckets in the flow of the game or when the team goes to him. And the Lakers weren't going to him as much throughout that flow of the game because the rhythm just wasn't there with him. It wasn't. And the Heat, you have to give some credit to the Heat too because the Heat were defending him differently. The Heat, a lot of the first... With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. First two games, they were dominating Anthony with the Anthony Davis with the pick and roll, the pick and pops, the whole nine. That's what the Lakers are doing. But then when they cha- the Heat changed up their defensive strategy, and instead of having someone like a, you know, a smaller guard guard Rondo or someone guard LeBron, they put a chain a, sw- a switchable person in the pick and roll on the two best play- on the two ball handlers on the court at the time, and it was notable when they put Jimmy Butler on Rondo and Andre Iguodala on Anthony Davis. So that when they did the pick and roll with him and Rondo, which was money for them in a lot of situations, which was creating a lot of offense. They would just switch it, and they changed up their like they changed up their whole defensive scheme to limit Anthony Davis in a lot of ways. And you th- you look at it, and this is the thing I'm trying. I try to highlight these things for you all. Maybe if you haven't played basketball at a high level, or and I mean, I'm not even trying to make it sound like I played in the NBA or something like that. But if you just if you're not used to dissecting different defensive strategies or whatever, I'm trying to kind of outline it here for you. But I think they, at one point they went to a one-two-two zone. And that's literally like that. Look, if you imagine one player at the top of at the top of the key, two players on the elbow, and then another two players down in the dunker spot areas, that's literally to keep a guy out. For, so Anthony Davis, that's his whole area of operation right there. That's where Anthony Davis works best the whole time. So 
Now, if you're putting two people in those situations, in those spots, you know, a lot of times you have to be able to play against something and figure it out, kind of playing against it. Because it's not like it's, a, it's already been thrown at you, so you don't have a pre-game plan coming into it, how we're going to attack this. So as you're going through it throughout the course of the game, you're like, okay, we're going to attack this. We're going to pick this apart and this one, and this and that way. But Anthony Davis wasn't out there to really get into a rhythm. So there was a lot of contributing factors to why we see a performance like this. So I'm just trying to highlight those things for you. Not that I'm trying to excuse it. You still got to figure it out. You still got to be able to be dominant. You got to help your team get a win. This is NBA Finals. You still got to figure out a way to pull out these wins. But just want to highlight some of those things for you all. So when you're watching the game next time and you're seeing these things, maybe you're like, okay, now I'm cognizant of it. This is why this is happening. But when you think about even if we're talking about things like the finals MVP, right? I'm pretty sure at this point, I mean, his, his averages are still good. His average is still good. I mean, brought him down heavy, but he's still averaging like 27 points, nine rebounds, even with this game, three, three assists. He's still shooting incredibly. Like it's, it's still, it's crazy because he was playing so dominant that even a, a average game or subpar game from him still has him looking really, really good for the NBA finals averages. And we're talking about this finals MVP race because I still believe the Lakers are going to win the championship. Not that I'm trying to dismiss the Heat, but I'm pretty sure we all, if you had to put your money down right now, not, unless you just have money to waste, I'm pretty sure you're putting your money on the Lakers, okay? I think we're all in agreement there. But when we're talking about the NBA finals race, it was a point where, or the NBA finals MVP race, we, we were, it was really a discussion between Anthony Davis and LeBron James. Anthony Davis was so dominant that he had a he had a viable case because he was the leading scorer. He's been the leading scorer of the finals. He was it was obvious that he just couldn't handle him. Like he was imposing his will on every facet of the game, defensively, offensively, and so on. But then LeBron is like doing everything else. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like LeBron is the primary playmaker. LeBron's still scoring. LeBron's still grabbing rebounds and so on. He's still playing great defense. It was just a case of the elegance versus the dominance. You can't ignore the dominance that Anthony Davis was putting on display, the defensive fortitude he was putting on display. When he's switching out onto a guy like Jimmy Butler in games one and two, and it was noticeable the impact he had on Jimmy Butler's drives to the rim. Same thing with LeBron. So it's, it was really a toss-up of who you, just which style you liked more, right? But then you have different things that come into account, like narratives and media coverage. If you're, if, if you, I don't know if you guys have listened to Zach Lowe's podcast, but he's, Zach Lowe noted in the past on his podcast that the way they would do the NBA Finals, vote, uh, finals MVP voting, they would just give it to different slips of paper to media members in the front row and say, here, <laughs> write down who you think it is. So it wasn't even like these guys are sitting there looking at all. Like, yeah, you can imagine they do have like the stat sheet of that game. But in that final game, like in the waning moments, they give the person the paper, say, write down who you think the finals MVP is. They chalk up the votes. And that know me how is was how it was decided. Granted, he noted that was like a couple of years ago. So to know if that's still the format of how they do it now is tough. But you got to imagine it has to be something pretty simplistic because the game ends they go to the trophy presentation, then they present the finals MVP. So it has to be something that's kind of happening really fast for you to come up to your decision like that. But I think in this situation, after this game three, I think LeBron is the clear-cut favorite to win the finals MVP. Unless Anthony Davis comes out with a Shaquille, Wilt Chamberlain-type game, there's no way he's winning this finals MVP because of this game three. I just don't see it. Because now you're not even leading the team. I mean, he's 27 points. LeBron's 27.7 points. LeBron's averaging 8.7 assists, 10.7 rebounds, 
shooting 55.2% from the field and 35% from three. Anthony Davis is still playing a monster. Like, he's still playing incredibly. But LeBron, even his game three stats, 25 points, 10 rebounds, 8 assists, 9 of 16 shots, 6 of 9 free throws, 8, eight, eight turnovers. That's, <laughs> 8 turnovers isn't great. But the rest of it, the whole package, I mean, that's what you're used to seeing from LeBron James. That's that all-around package. It's just, And that's only what you will go with, with voting with the MVP, especially if you see the impact there. And the fact that LeBron didn't have that falter game. If LeBron had the falter game where you, like, you fall back, maybe like you're, you regress like in a similar fashion that Anthony Davis did, it would still be maybe a topic of conversation. But because he still kept that consistent play all throughout the finals, he's and, and Anthony Davis is already working against narrative, right, and history. People, it's hard to make a vote objectively, and not have this whole thing about like the GOAT conversation. Everybody talking about LeBron James, LeBron James, LeBron James. It's like LeBron is getting stuffed down your throat. Like even Mark Jackson at one point in game, I think it was like game one or two, he tries to credit Anthony Davis's greatness to LeBron James. He's like, Anthony Davis is playing at a much higher level because of LeBron James. And Jeff Van Gundy's like, no, Anthony Davis has just always been awesome, but he's just playing with a better player now. <laughs> and I'll, 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 I'm just like, yo, Mark, what are you talking about? Like this, and this was the thing that I, I, like even coming into this season with the trade and everything, I, I, for a lot of people, I'm like, yo, do people watch Anthony? I, I don't think people honestly watch Anthony Davis. I think they just listen to other people's opinions of him and maybe formed their own opinion of him outside of that. Because I'm like, okay, look, how many people are really watching New Orleans Pelican basketball? Like, come on. Like, be honest with yourself. You're not watching the Pelicans. You don't know how their team plays. Like, like come on, let's be real. So, when people and, and the reason why I know how the Pelicans used to play basketball and stuff like that, because I pretty much would stream all the games. I literally watch basketball twenty four seven. I kid you not. We have it set up on the TV, the Mac, the iPad, all these different on my phone. So if y'all need the basketball links, I got y'all. <laughs> if y'all need the streaming links, look, man, I'm the plug. I got y'all. But a lot of it, a lot of those situations, even when he was in New Orleans, Anthony Davis was still this dominant player. But obviously, when you play with great players, it raises your level of greatness. That's just a natural thing. Like, Anthony Davis improved with playing with LeBron James in the same way LeBron James has improved by playing with Anthony Davis. Normally, LeBron normally has to keep a certain average of scoring that he has to do throughout the season to be able to maintain his team's level of efficiency or whatever the case might be. This year, Anthony Davis is so dominant, he can take that step back and guess what? Lead the league in assists. Like, these are things that happen when you play with other great players. Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant playing with Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, the whole Golden State Warriors cast. Guess what? He doesn't have to shoot as many times now. Now he's just taking better shots. So then he has his most efficient scoring season of his career in 2017. So these are the different things that you look at and you're just like, okay, this is why, this is why. That's what happens when you play with great players. And to actually note that Golden State Warriors situation is actually pretty funny because even in that situation, when you look at how Steph Curry in a, in a, in a, in a lighter sense, or not even in a deeper sense, because Steph Curry, to this day, I'm going to say it, he got robbed in 2015. There's no reason anybody can justify to me Andre Iguodala won the finals MVP. I don't care if they started starting him and they started winning games, because if you look at the concourse of how the series changed, at the end of game three of that series, the, the Warriors lost. They did lose. But in that fourth quarter, Steph Curry started getting going off. And it was it was so it was overstated to like the whole Della Vadova thing like oh De- Delhi's checking Steph it was so overstated and then you see at the end of Game Three it's like Steph figures out the defense the Cavs are trying to play on him he literally figured it out throughout the rest of the series Steph is, goes back to being Supernova Steph 
But the narrative had been driven so hard that Della Vadova had locked up Steph. Della Vadova was playing better than Steph that the media writers just got it wrong. That's simple, as simple as it is. They got it wrong. They gave it to Andre Iguodala because Andre Iguodala was the primary defender on LeBron James, which he definitely deserved that cre- He deserved the credit of him being the guy that helped, I guess, in a way, contain LeBron James. I don't know how. I mean, he averaged like 35 points in this. I don't know how much you want to. He made LeBron's job tougher. All right, let's say that. He made LeBron's job tougher. But it's hard for me to rationalize giving the MVP to the guy that made the other team's best player's job tougher versus the guy who is the literal offensive cog and the offensive backbone of your, your own team. That, that very unit, I guess Steph Curry crosses half court. The, def- the defense has to look at him immediately. So to this day, I'm always going to say, I'm never going to back away from that. Steph Curry got robbed in 2015. If you want to have that debate, we can, I will gladly, gladly have it with you. Okay? But then it was obvious in 2018, the second season Kevin Durant was there, the season they swept the Cavs in the, in the finals, it was clear that they were trying to get Steph Curry to finals MVP. It was very clear. Like, Steph was taking a lot more shots. He was the aggressive. He was the aggressive player in that series. The whole like, everything. It was very clear that 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 offense was generating through Steph Curry. Like the energy, the aura, everything was coming, was pushing through Steph Curry. And he I mean, he came into that game three because for Steph Curry, he he also had his falter game in a game three. He he came into this in that game three, averaging thirty one points, six and a half rebounds, eight and a half assists. 45% from the field and 50% from deep, y'all. That is absurd. That's that's emblematic of his that's emblematic of his unanimous MVP season. That's how good Steph Curry was coming into that game 3. Game 3, he had one of the worst games of his career. 11 points, 6 assists, 5 rebounds, 3 of 16 from the field, 1 of 10 from 3. And four four three throws. It was just it was after that game, and the thing is, Kevin Durant had been staying consistent throughout, and that's the biggest thing with these Finals MVPs and so on. Like when a guy just stays consistently doing being great, even if you're having this amazing dominant performance, if you you have to maintain that dominant performance all throughout. If you have one falter game, you lose it. And that's what happens. That's why Shaq won the three straight finals because every single game he dominated in the finals. He might not have dominated as much as he might have in a 40 and 15 performance, but best believe in after the 40 and 15 performance, he had a 28 and 12 performance or something like that. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't like he went down to 15, 7, and 2. Which is the kind of performance we're talking about that lost Steph Curry, that finals MVP. And the kind of performance we're talking about that now has lost Anthony Davis, this finals MVP. Unless, I'm telling you, unless Anthony Davis has a Shaq-like game, he is not getting the finals MVP. There's just no way. He already had narrative working against him. He already had history working against him. I think at this point it's a done deal. But I'm just, I mean, as a Lakers fan, I'm just happy. I don't care who really wins it. I'm just, we're just opining about this so- subject. Because really, guys... This series it was looking like it was done and de- done and did for. So the MVP, the Finals MVP, was one of the biggest storylines around it. But it would be huge for LeBron. I mean, you win three, you win a Finals MVP 
with three different franchises, rings with three different teams. Whew, that's a lot, man. Fourth ring. And this is the only time I'm going to acknowledge 17th season, okay? So that's because I'm tired of hearing you're 17, you're 17, you, yeah, whatever, man. <laughs> like, but to win a championship this late into your career is very impressive. And to be the finals MVP of that team, because you see it when guys like Kareem win the finals MVP, like, or when a guy like Kareem gets to the championship in, a, in the later stages of his career, normally it is the younger player that gets the finals MVP because the younger player is the one that's controlling the offense, is the focal point of the offense, and you know it, that's how it normally works out. A la Tim Duncan. Tim Duncan, you, when, you, when you have a different guy like a Kawhi Leonard or a Tony Parker becoming the, gen, the offensive centerpiece of that team, you might, you're, you're still going to get credited with the championship, but there's a reason why the other guys are getting the finals MVP, if that all makes sense. So it'll, it's, it'll be really impressive. LeBron, 17th year, age 35, to win his fourth finals MVP. That would be crazy. That would be crazy. I mean, I, I, look, man. When we talk about that GOAT conversation, it's been obvious where I stood on it for the longest time because, look, I know LeBron's going to lead playoff scoring. He's gonna, he could possibly become the regular season all-time scoring leader. He ranks top 10 in assists. He's going to be this and that, all these stats, right? But this is how I see it. If y'all flip the resumes and you, you said LeBron had 6-6, six and six, and you still watched him play same way, similar way, whatever, if LeBron has six rings, would this even be a, a question? You feel me? That's why I don't. I can't say the ring argument don't matter. Because if LeBron was ringless right now, he led in all these statistical categories. Would you care? You get you get what I'm saying. That's the thing. Like it all doesn't matter without the championships. Like the championships are what like are matter. I don't care how many times people try to, to undermine championships because their player just don't got that many. If Tom Brady didn't have six championships, you wouldn't be saying Tom Brady was the greatest quarterback of all time. Like, that's a fact. It wasn't until he had four that people started saying, oh, he might be better than Joe Montana. Guess what? Because Joe Montana got four. Michael Jordan changed how the standard was carried because of the way he won his championships and how he dominated winning his championships. I don't think people people don't realize it wasn't that just that Michael won six championships because Kareem got a crap ton of championships. Kareem has a crap ton of MVPs. You know what I'm saying? Kareem, to me, was has been the second best player of all time. But it's the manner of how Michael did it. Six for six, six finals MVPs, undisputed best player. It wasn't even a conversation about who, could Scotty be better? No, it was no conversation. There was no conversation that another guy was better in any, in any year Michael Jordan was playing, that he was winning the championships. There was no discussion that another player might have been better than him. It was just a question of how many, can the, can the, will somebody give the Bulls some bump this year? That's really what we were discussing. And that's, that's where I think the, the, the gap is in terms of LeBron and Michael. Because now it's like, because LeBron became this repetitive finals appearance guy, and he became a guy that, that, that makes these appearances normal now, not, and it's not like you, you start to lose sight of it or you, you forget his greatness for that. Because it is great. But then it's like people want you to forget 2011 with Dallas because of that. The man averaged 17 points in a final series, y'all. And you just you think that's just gonna like wash away? 
And that was one of those situations where note what I said earlier about Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler wasn't about to just sit there and let his team lose without without emptying his clip. You get what I'm saying? It felt like LeBron James still had not even felt. LeBron James still had a lot of bullets in that chamber to fire off in that Dallas series and he didn't fire them. And granted, he has he has entirely flipped the narrative on its head. But come, like like let's 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 see what we're doing here, man. Like when guy when guys falter in those moments, that you, you that gets held against you. You know what I mean? Especially if it, it's just over the course of a series, over the course of a whole series, not just one game, a series. And we have different things that we talk about, like oh he wouldn't post up a guy like JJ Barrett, Jason Kidd, whatever the case might be. All those things come into effect. Like now, if you put a guy like J.J. Barrett, like the, the Heat can't even put Duncan Robinson on LeBron James because he literally looks at him like barbecue chicken. They can't put Tyler Hero on him because he, that, but the transformation had to ha- happen. That's the thing. And people don't acknowledge those little things when it comes to talking about the greatness of these players. If you're, it's like people say it's an insult if LeBron's like number two or three. What? I'm, I'm not acting like he doesn't deserve to be in that conversation, but I'm just saying the same way we hold these standards for other players. Like, if you said Kevin Durant was better than LeBron James, right? If people started saying that, or that that was a conversation when he when he won back to back Finals MVPs, he won back to back championships against LeBron. The LeBron camp. What was your claim to why Kevin Durant was the better? You're like LeBron got three championships. LeBron's still getting his team to the finals, right? Am I missing something? If, if LeBron was knocked out all those years, would you still be making the same claim? If LeBron was getting knocked out of those finals, would you still be saying LeBron was better than Kevin Durant when you see Kevin Durant playing his butt off in the NBA finals, playing his butt off throughout the playoffs? You know what I'm saying? Maybe I'm tripping, man. <laughs> but I did, there's a reason why I feel like the majority of the basketball community agrees with me, and a lot of players agree with me too, because that's the way you see it. And that's normally the way we, we've done the standard of, of, of how we evaluate these players. Your championships in line with your stats and all that stuff. Like Tom Brady's not going to lead in t- touchdowns, passing yards, all this stuff. But guess what? He got the most championships ever, so now everybody says he's the best quarterback of all time. It's funny how it seems to be different from one sport to the other, right? It makes no sense. It really makes no sense. Like, Kevin Durant being the best player in the league wasn't even a topic of conversation until he won the two championships. Funny how that works, huh? Somehow, when you win on the biggest stage and you win championships, lead your team to a championship, all of a sudden people think you're a better player. I wonder why. Beats me, huh? All right, guys, it's going to wrap it up for this podcast episode, guys. Thanks for tuning into the KBR Sports Podcast, y'all. Of course, make sure you guys are subscribing to the podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the YouTube channel, anywhere you cast your podcast. And, of course, on YouTube, you'll see video content and whole nine. Make sure you follow KBR Sports Instagram page as well, y'all. Post daily on there just the different sports news topics and different promotional stuff for this podcast and the YouTube page. So make sure you guys check it out on there. And, of course, if you guys have anything you want us to discuss, you want me to discuss, and whoever I bring on as a guest, or if you have a certain guest you want to see on here comment that on the podcast make sure you guys go ahead leave comments comment on the youtube channel everything man always appreciate hearing everybody's feedback how you all feel about each and every episode try to pump out the best quality episodes you all so you are you have your your work your work day filled with each podcast episode but guys until next time i'm out
With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.